I'm Richard. And I'm Will. And together we're the, the Irreverent, Irreverent Nerds. Nerds. Bum, bum, bum. Nerds, we would love to find out who is on the other side of the microphone. There are multiple options by which you can connect with us. Our Instagram handle is at irreverent underscore nerds. We are on Facebook and YouTube as simply the Irreverent Nerds. Makes sense, right? And of course, we are on your podcast app. If you listen on Spotify, scroll down and you will see a question. What did you think of this episode? We welcome your feedback. We post episode-specific polls and questions from time to time on Spotify, so please feel free to jump in there and give us your two cents. All right, nerds, I've talked enough. Let's get back to this week's episode. Nerds. Nerds. We are here. I don't know why I'm talking in German, but we are here <laughs> to talk about a Stephen King film. I don't think he's German, but for some reason German came to my mind. I don't know why. Do you know why, Will? Do you understand the depths of Richard yet? After, no. twen- after 20 years. Oh. No, hablo ingles. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't have any impressive. I'm still a mystery. <laughs> Just as I planned. <laughs> no. Um, that was Batman, by the way. Of course. Was that Batman? He wants to always be a mystery on some level. He, you know, he doesn't. Sadly, this is somewhat true of me. He doesn't let you get too close. Close enough, but not too close. Really? I feel like you're one of my most openest friends. No, no. I, um, no, no, I'm not open. <laughs> oh, well, that may be true. I, I don't hang out with the other friends enough to, to know. <laughs> no, I, I've definitely opened up more of the year. I'm, I'm the kind of person that I only open up with a few select. Cl- I, either, I either do it in public <laughs> or I do it with just a few close people. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like hot or cold, or whatever. You, one extreme or the other. I guess there's only like a few really close friends, you're or, having, or it's, it's out in public for everyone. Yes, you're no. Um, yeah, trying to find a healthier balance between the two. I'm, I'm not sharing anywhere near as much in public as I did a couple of years ago. I kind of went through a phase in my middle age. Anyway, enough about me. Why are we here, William? I mean, like that is a deep philosophical <laughs> question, Richard, and I'm just not certain if we're just we're able to handle it right now. <laughs> oh man! Well, th- this this movie that we that we chose um, for for this week, man, I I almost I was like, this might be too serious for the irreverent nerds. Is there? An, can we can we be irreverent? Can we can we make fun of this at all? Like. And being a couple of days removed from watching it now, I'm like, okay, I, I feel like I can maybe make a few jokes now. But that that first night after I f- finished it, I was like, I cannot joke about this. Ever. I can make fun of it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, um, I mean, obviously, if you clicked on this, you know where we're. I don't. Why do we even tell people the title after they've already clicked on the episode? Why do I do that? We should like purposely mislead them by i know why i know why here's a good (laughs) reason here's a good reason if they're listening to our podcast and they just let it run you know from episode to episode and they're driving somewhere 
you know, it's safer for them just to hear what we're talking about. They don't have to look down at their phone and see what the next episode's about. So then that's why we do it. That's why we do it. Well, I just came up with that. <laughs> All this time I had no reason other than my brain. And somewhere in there, I bet my brain knew that. And was like, they need they need to hear it so they don't have to check their phones manually. Because that's dangerous when you're driving. And by the way, yes. don't text when you drive. Don't do that. Hey, look, watch <laughs> out. I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, speaking of, oh, man. So I love a good, always have loved a good like radio drama, like back in the nineties. We're gonna get sued now. I caused someone to have a wreck. <laughs> uh, well, there is actually a um, a new. It's a company that, as far as I know at this point, exclusively makes podcast audio dramas, and these yeah. are really well produced. Um, like mainstream actors are headlining and producing these things, uh, along with the company, and its name is Q Code, uh, including. They've even produced one for Rhett and Link, um, which I don't know if you know who Rhett and Link are, but like um, Good Mythical Morning and like Ear Biscuits and Mythical, you know, they into all of that. Like they actually joined forces with Q Code cool. to produce a, a story as well. But these are done with, it's like, it's almost like 360 sound for your ears and somehow they achieve it, even if you're just wearing regular stereo headphones, somehow... It sounds like like if you're in a theater and you had surround sound and you hear something behind you, somehow they do that with headphones. I, I, I don't know how, but somehow. Spatial audio is what it's called. Mm. And Me. But they do warn you at the beginning of every episode, you know, if you're driving a vehicle or walking around, you know, it may sound like things are coming behind you or beside you, so beware. <laughs> so do you think that spatial audio would have enhanced your viewing of this movie? Ooh. <laughs> would have made it a heck of a lot creepier, and it was already creepy enough as it was. But yeah, that would have made it creepier. Yeah, because you could you could hear something coming from behind you, and it legit like there's been a few times when I've been listening to Q Code dramas. Um, plug for them, by the way. And hey, guys, if you ever need an extra voice actor, let me know. Definitely uh, better than me. I can be an extra, you know. Um, man number three or something, you know, man who has like two, two lines, but Hey, <laughs> I'll get in there. Yeah. Y you need somebody. Let me know. I'm, I'm I, down. I'm down. I love man number three's performance. <laughs> great. That's right. Gotta get my foot in somewhere to the, I would, that would be totally fun. Like there's a lot of people like, you know, fanboys such as ourselves that produce their own, you know, and they act in their own stories. They write them and like, Oh, and in some cases I've seen other people, actually um dramatize uh graphic novels like dc or marvel graphic novels so they've done their own fan dramatization and some are pretty decent like not up to the level of q code because these guys are like legit right. professionals but but still it's like that had to be fun like I, a lot of work but fun um maybe someday that's that's another project for another time um, <laughs> we just gotta we gotta keep up with this podcast first um anyway so we're we're here to talk about the 2007 Stephen King film, or maybe it's more fair to say Frank Darabont film, because he's the director and he co-wrote the screenplay with Stephen King. Right. But it's based on a Stephen King novella, and that is 2007's The Mist. Had you heard of this film before, before I mentioned it for this week's episode? I have not. I mean... I've definitely heard of Stephen King and a bunch of his more famous works, but I haven't heard of this work before. Now, I have not read the novella, but I had heard about this movie off and on over the years. And I think 
they, for some odd reason, decided to remake it or make it again a few years back. And I heard, I didn't hear positive things about that. But I was unaware, I think, of the, the 2007 version. I don't know if I'd ever even seen a trailer for it. It did release in theaters, apparently. Hmm. Um, but in preparation for Horror Month, you know, we're still trying to follow our normal layout where we have a sci-fi episode first so i was trying to find a good sci-fi horror movie for us to review and this one came up on i think two or three different lists of like top 10 or 20 i think there's even some top 50 lists out there of sci-fi horror films and this one came up several times so the more i looked at it, i was like this sounds interesting and, and i like stephen king and also this was free as well <laughs> uh i was on streaming on pluto tv and um I didn't know that, so I rented it. <laughs> yeah. Wh- it's like we looked for it on Pluto TV, but we couldn't find it. Huh, really? Maybe oh, so you had Pluto TV? Yeah. Yeah, it was on. Yeah. The, it's in the on-demand section. You had, to, you had to search for it in the on-demand section, I think. I, w- I was busy doing something, and uh, my wife, Mandy, was searching all the, all the streaming platforms, and I kept telling her, I can't remember if it's on Pluto or if it's on Tubi. Boop. Oh, yeah, Tubi and Pluto. Those are the two free ones, I think. Yeah. But we'll go look at those, and she didn't find them, and uh, oh well. Yeah, plug for Pluto TV, by the way. If, you, if you're not already aware of it, it's 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 owned. It's run by like CBS Paramount, uh, but they have all kinds of stuff. It's like free cable almost. There's like all kinds of channels with uh, different shows. They have a, if you have kids, they have a Dora the Explorer channel. I like love a, the Godzilla channel. Is there a Godzilla channel? Yeah. Nice. And I think my favorite thing about it is they have a Star Trek The Next Generation channel. Like, literally 24-7, it's playing Star Trek cool. The Next Generation episodes. Um, but they also have a lot of good on-demand movies, of which this is one. You know, The Mist. Um, so, this is where I watched it. <laughs> and we'll, we'll rent it in HD version yeah. of it. Um, and I'm pretty certain I saw the same. It wasn't the black and white one, was it? No. Okay. Because apparently that's on, like, the... The uh, two disc DVD set that released, they had a black and white version of the film, which right. that would have been interesting. I would have, apparently the filmmakers wanted to produce it in black and white originally, or release it in black and white, and I guess that got shot down by the studio execs, but they were able to apparently put it on the DVD. Uh, so I kind of want to, if I ever rewatch it, I, I think I'll rewatch it in black and white because that cool. just sounds cool. I like some like good old classic black and white horror movies or suspense movies you know but i was aware the black and white movie did exist though i found that on voodoo before i went to youtube ah oh so they have it available for rent too yeah you can uh you can watch the black and white version on voodoo nice okay okay i'll have to keep that in mind like i imagine it would be although i don't know it may or may not be cheaper to get the dvd set at, at mckay's or something if they have if they have it um but it depends like there's some random movies will be more expensive. And others are like 95 cents. Like, I got the entire um, BBC Planet Earth series on Blu-ray for 95 cents. Nice. I was like, what? This has no business being 95 cents. <laughs> it's like, this is amazing television. I mean, David Attenborough, need I say more? David Attenborough. You know who that is, right? David Attenborough. no. I'm just have, laughing. Have you seen the... You've as seen, if I didn't know. <laughs> <laughs> you, you've probably heard his voice on a nature, nature program. He's that one... So he's Richard Attenborough's brother. You know, Richard Attenborough from Jurassic Park. Oh. Um, so it's his brother. Which Dave, one is that? David. 
uh, you know, Mr. Hammond, he plays oh, Mr. Okay. Hammond. Cool, cool, cool. So cool, his brother cool. David um, is uh, has been doing uh, nature documentaries, I think, since like the 60s or 70s. He's, wow. He's in his 80s now. And still going, like still at least doing the narration. I don't know if he gets out in the field much now in his 80s, but like he still does narration for like Netflix. Anyway, I'm rambling. So <laughs> let's get back on point here. We're here to talk about The Mist. So I'm going to give just a little summary blurb about it, and then we're going to dive in and read a summary of the plot, uh, as we normally do, and then we're, gonna, we're just going to talk about all the, the many themes, and there's some, there's some deep stuff in this. And it's, it's a hard watch, but a fascinating and, and, and enthralling watch. Highly recommend it. Like, uh, I'm going to tell you right now, I'm giving this like 4.5 stars. This cool. Is, this is a really well done movie. Highly recommend it. So, anyway, <clears throat> to the point. So, the two thousand two thousand and seven Frank Darabont film The Mist is based on a novella written by the eponymous horror author Stephen King. And unlike some other film adaptations of his work, this one does not disappoint. Now, there have been a few duds in the many, many adaptations of his work, I must say. But this one does not disappoint, in my opinion. The story centers around a small group of people living in southeastern Maine who are confronted with a series of horrible choices when an eerie mist descends upon their small town. The mist brings with it some terrifying creatures whose origin is unknown to both the characters and the viewers for most of the film. As the body count slowly rises, the fear and anxiety of this small group of humans, who have holed up in a grocery store for protection, steadily rises. These emotions are both fed upon and fed by a local religious fanatic, Mrs. Carmody. Over the course of two harrowing days, she effectively becomes a cult leader for a growing number of the people trapped in the grocery store. Thus is the stage set for some deep and dark exploration of the nature of humans and our behaviors during crisis situations. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> so before we get too deep into the themes and discussion of the same, we are going to go through the plot so you kind of know what we're talking about with this film. So, Will, why don't you start us off with the plot rating here? Although a monster movie, the central wait, theme... Wait, 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 wait. Plot. Oh, I'm on the wrong part. <laughs> it's okay. We'll get there. A severe thunderstorm strikes Brigton, Maine, causing a tree to fall into the lakeside home of artist David Drayton, his wife Stephanie, and their eight-year-old son Billy. While surveying the damage, the damage, <laughs> the next morning, they notice a thick mist advancing over the lake. Oh, man, that just made me think of The Simpsons. I surveyed the damage. <laughs> you know, the, the hillbilly from the, yeah. what's his character's name? I can't think of it. Cletus? Cletus. Cletus? That's it. Cletus. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> Continue. <laughs> Causing a tree to fall into the lakeside home, artist David Drayton, his wife Stephanie, and their eight-year-old son Billy. While surveying the damage the next morning, they <laughs> notice a thick mist advancing over the lake. David and Billy leave for the town with their neighbor Brent Norton to buy supplies. From inside the supermarket, they watch police cars speed down the street. A terrified local Dan Miller runs into the store and warns of a danger lurking in the mist. A silver alert siren sounds, store managers Ollie Weeks 
and Bud Brown close off the supermarket and the mist envelops the store. One woman leaves to go home to her children. Against David's advice, bagger Norm starts to go outside to fix the store's emergency generator, but he is grabbed by a tentacled creature and dragged into the mist. David and Ollie direct the customers to barricade the storefront windows. Mrs. Carmody, a religious fanatic, begins preaching about an impending Armageddon. Brent disbelieves the dangers of the mist and leaves the store with a small group to seek outside help. His group is attacked by an unseen force and, presumably, killed. David forms connections with several people in the store, including Amanda Dunfrey and Irene Reppler, two teachers who came into conflict with Carmody over her religious take on the ongoing disaster. Amanda carries a revolver in her purse and gives it to Ollie, who is a former regional shooting champion. As night falls, enormous flying insects attracted to the light swarm to the store windows and are preyed on by pterodactyl-like creatures. One of the predators smashes a window, allowing both species inside. The ensuring, in the ensuing panic, ensuing, I'm sorry, in the ensuing panic, two people are killed while another receives fatal burns while attempting to incinerate the insects. Meanwhile, Carmody is miraculously spared from an insect which convinces her to proselytize more fervently and gain followers among the survivors. A small group, led by David, goes to the neighboring pharmacy in search of medical supplies, but is attacked by giant spiders that kill two men, forcing them to retreat. Carmody, who had opposed the expedition, uses this failure to increase her influence by offering protection from divine wrath to new converts. The next day, following the suicides of two soldiers from the local military base, a third soldier, Jessup, reveals that a government project to discover other dimensions was underway at the base and that scientists accidentally opened a doorway into the creature's habitat. Angered and vengeful, Carmody's followers beat, stab, then offer Jessup as a sacrifice and expel him from the supermarket. Outside, he is immediately devoured by a giant, praying mantis-like creature. As David and his group prepare to leave the store the next morning, they are stopped by Carmody, who demands that Billy and Amanda be made the next sacrifices to appease the monsters. As the crowd descends, however, Ollie shoots and kills Carmody. Traumatized and returning to their senses, her followers stand down and allow David's group to leave. As the group makes its way through the parking lot, Ollie is devoured by the praying mantis-like creature, while two others, Myron and Ambrose, are killed by the spider creatures from the pharmacy. Bud runs back to the store and is allowed back inside. David, Billy, Dan, Amanda, and Irene reach David's car and leave. And I'm going to pause right there because the the ending is so powerful to this film that I don't want to spoil it just yet. So we're going to end the plot right there. Uh, a little bit of a cliffhanger for you. But uh, if you are one of those who is listening to this who just wants to hear about the movie and not necessarily watch it, I want to hold you in suspense a bit because, trust me, it's worth it. The ending, very powerful. And um, But we will talk about it before the episode's over. Don't worry. So th- there's quite a few cast here, so we'll talk about them real quick. So we've got uh, Thomas Jane as David Drayton, a painter who ends up trapped in the supermarket with his son Billy. We have Marcia Gray Harden as Mrs. Carmody, a religious fanatic who believes the mist to be the wrath of God. Laurie Holden as a man, Amanda Dunfrey, a new teacher at the local school. She carries a Colt revolver with her at all times. 
Andre Brower plays Brent Norton, a big city attorney and David's neighbor. Toby Jones plays Ollie Weeks, the supermarket's assistant manager who's experienced with guns. And I think we'll stop for now and that. There's quite a few people in the cast, but those are some of the headliners. Some of the first that you would see if you were to look this up on IMDb. And uh, we'll pause on that for now. Didn't uh, didn't the actor playing Ollie play in the Marvel MCU? Yes, yeah, I he, thought so. I re- he thought played I uh, he played the Red Skull's right hand. Yeah, um, and I cannot remember the professor. He's a professor, but I can't remember his name. Didn't he just get called Professor all the time by the Red Skull? I don't remember. Professor. He uh, Professor. He turns into the. Um, he turns into another supervillain that has a monitor for a head. Well, I mean, it's basically his own his scientific intelligence uploaded to a, right. a computer, right? More or less. That was the more realistic version they used in the MCU. Ah, so it so it's different in the uh, in the comics. Yeah, he's a robot with a monitor for a head. <laughs> Wait, that's not the one from Ant Man. Later, is it? No, not no, that the, was Modok. That was Modok. Very different. Okay. No, but he does appear in uh, What If, the animated series. Anyway, uh, that's off topic. Um, yeah, I've always liked Toby Jones. Like he, um, he's been in a lot of a lot of films. I've seen him in a number of different things over the years, um, and I believe won an Oscar for playing. Now I know I'm going to get this wrong. Oh, wow. I'm going to scroll way down because he's got, like, so many. Um, darn, what is it? Truman Capote. So he plays Truman Capote in the film Infamous. And I believe he won the Oscar for that back in 2006. And, uh, <clears throat> yeah, I think the first thing I saw him in, though, was Amazing Grace from 2006. He plays a pretty despicable landowner who owns slaves. And uh. he doesn't have a huge part in the movie, but... Um, but he makes an impression. And he was in that just the year before this, The Mist. So, yeah, but yeah, he's been in quite a number of things over the over the years, yeah, including including the t- first two Captain America films, <coughs> as you mentioned. So, <laughs> uh, I guess, I'm trying to think where to start. So, maybe um, talk a little bit about the emotional impact of the film, save, save the ending. Like, right. But, um, but the rest of the film, like, um, was it a slow burn for you? Like, I mean, I think it's meant to be, but like, how did, how did you process or receive it, um, as you were watching? Like, well, I was very interested in the mystery of the monsters or monster, uh, as we're not certain how many there are starting out. Um, uh, I really liked it. Um, I think that I perceived the film or, or understood or received the film a little differently than you. Um, have you seen a lot of horror movies, by the way? I've seen a few. I've seen a few. Like, I'm not a huge horror fan, like, but <clears throat> I do like, I do like films like this. I don't mind the gore if, if there's a, a really deep story behind it with, with characters that are well-written um, so I don't, I don't mind, uh, but if a horror movie is just like a lot of jump scares and gory mess and stuff, yeah, I don't care for that so much, no. but, 
But yeah, I've, I've seen quite a few over the years. Uh, I mean, I'm not big on horror films, but I've seen quite a few in my childhood. Uh, I remember being introduced to Friday the 13th. Uh, mm. I've not seen that yet. Uh, there's a lot of them. Yeah, I know that I know. I don't remember which <laughs> ones I have seen. I know I have not seen Jason Goes to Hell or the that time Jason was uh, anchored under the water or went to New York. I know that much. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, um, what I'm trying to say is I, I'm somewhat desensitized to the... Uh, I didn't really think this film was that bad, gore-wise. Um, yeah, I've seen worse. Yeah. But uh, the the movie didn't really scare me. Uh, I really enjoyed the science fiction monster aspect of the film. Uh, that had me interested. Um, uh, the CGI I felt was a little, and maybe I'm getting ahead of myself, but the CGI could have been a little just a teeny bit better but the more you watched it the less you noticed it yeah it was it was pretty solid for i guess for 2007 yeah you know not top of the line necessarily but 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 good enough i thought it was it was solid um i I felt like it didn't have the budget of of some horror movies but it was definitely better than 80s horror movies yeah, I think it only had, if I, was, if I remember correctly, like an $18 million budget. Right. Um, which I imagine they spent the majority of that on the cast. Because <laughs> it has and, a big ensemble cast. Exactly, and that's where the movie really shines. The performances were amazing. I agree. Like, very, very well done. Uh, Thomas Jane obviously shines as <clears throat> David Drayton in, in, I guess, what you call the lead role. He's, he's definitely one of the... We were introduced to his character first. He's the very first one in the film. Um, and we learned that he's a painter. And, uh, yeah, I, th- I, th- I couldn't tell. Like, he was, he paints, so he paints, um, was it uh, movie posters? Like, rather than just being put together with, like, Adobe Photoshop or something, he actually hand paints them um, for a living, we find out. And, like, as the film opens, he's painting... It's either, it's either like a Clint Eastwood movie, or it's meant to be, the Gunslinger, you know. Which at that point, which is another Stephen King, uh, book, at that point had not been made into a film. Um, yeah, very un- unfortunately, yeah. I'm not gonna go into that. Like the Dark Tower series, got a um, very unpopular treatment. Which had some excellent actors in it. I mean, Matthew McConaughey and Idris Elba, but it, yeah, it, it bombed at the box Wasn't office. Wasn't The Dark Tower also a comic book series? Yeah, I believe they have done graphic novel adaptations, but it was a novel novels first. Okay. And um, as Stephen King's, most of his novels were very long, and um, and I think, I think the way he's put it, it's like it's meant to be his magnum opus, his like his Lord of the Rings, if you will. Oh. It's a long story, and then he's since then has tied it into a number of his other. I think I think I've heard that he he ties somehow ties it into all of his novels that somehow they're supposed to be all in an interconnected universe. I've always I've wondered heard, about I've that. Heard, I've heard. Um, but anyway, um, that's just a little trivia tidbit, I guess. Um, but yeah, maybe it was like his vision of Clint Eastwood 
as the gunslinger, which I think would have been great actually. <laughs> had they had they made a which I suppose they still could before the man dies, but but yeah, <laughs> he, he might be a little too old for it now. Um although he did play a was it a drug mule a few years back. <laughs> he directed the movie himself, but he plays a 90-year-old drug mule. Um, <laughs> he's like getting in fights and like outrunning people in his pickup truck and stuff like that. I was about to say outrunning people <laughs> at 90 in, in, in his truck. Although Clint Eastwood might still be able to run out of outrun a few people. Certainly people his age, I would imagine. Um But anyway, but we were we were talking about the performances. Um I thought the the young youngest performer um who plays David Drayton's son and let's see I cannot find the son's name right now. Is it Billy? I'll say it was Billy. Yeah, the son's name is Billy. Yeah, Billy. So, I thought he did an excellent job. Um like brought a lot of he was able to emote quite powerfully. Yeah, Billy Drayton played by Nathan Gamble. Um yeah, that that performance was was quite powerful, which I think always is attributed as well to the director. Like as a as a director, if you can can help can draw a powerful performance from one of your young actors, obviously they still have to have the talent. But some directors are good at that, and some are not. Um, like and yeah, Frank Darabont. I don't I don't think he's dealt with kids too often. Um, although I've not seen most of the Walking Dead series, so I can't say how many kids pop up in that but uh but yeah he did a good job i thought now uh the actor that plays jessup the um one of the army boys i've been meaning to ask you he looks familiar to me i wonder if he's the same guy who later played plastic man on D on uh the flash the tv series that i don't know uh, but he makes his way around genre genre tv and movie so it wouldn't surprise me necessarily um but his name's sam whitwer and i think prior to this he was um best known for um a run on battlestar galactica oh, like the, the new cool. the newer series um he was in that and he also did the the modeling and the acting for the main character in the force unleashed video games so you might have really? you might have seen him oh, in the trailers or whatever okay. or if you ever played it like you can, yeah. you can tell it's him. Like they, they modeled his face and everything. I had the first one on the Wii, but I, I'm gotta say, other than the uh, Wii <laughs> controls, that was an ugly version of that game. Yeah, yeah, those kind of games don't, don't translate particularly well to the Wii, unfortunately. No. Yeah, and I say that as someone who owns one currently, and although I haven't bothered to get one of those types of games <laughs> at this point, I'm stick more to Mario and and the like. Things actually made <clears throat> for the Wii. Yes, exactly. But yeah, he, he he has a pretty pivotal role in the film, and I thought I thought he did a good job. And um, I guess that that kind of leads into to one of the main themes, like the way his character is treated in kind of, well, I guess towards the end of his like. As, as we mentioned in the plot already, he does get killed. But that is the culmination of some tensions that have been building up for more than probably close to half the movie at that point. Um, and, you know, it kind of 
and like even some of the characters within the movie they're like they could see it coming um but it and yet it, but it still happens at the end of the day which is really sad it's to me it's probably the most i think it might be the most frightening scene in the film personally like oh really i think what the humans do is to me was scarier yeah. actually than than the creatures in the mist themselves like um in a lot of ways they which may have been some of Stephen King's intent, you know, because this really is, and I felt, you know, an exploration of of human nature and 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 how humans might behave in crisis situations, and you know, they explore how different elements, like you know, different political beliefs or different religious beliefs, may may affect that, and even just how people interact with fear during crisis situations. Um, Absolutely, but yeah, Sam Witwer's character Jessup um is an unfortunate victim um of of some of that and uh yeah did um how did how did you I guess we'll get into some of the themes now like did you granted neither you or you nor I have been in that type of crisis situation obviously not creatures from oh by the way spoiler warning creatures from another dimension you know, we haven't experienced that, obviously, but but even just like a, a situation like that, like say if you'd been in a war zone or something where your life is threatened, but you're maybe a civilian and you're kind of on the edges of it and trying to avoid getting killed, like you or I, I think it's fair to say, unless you've experienced something I don't know about, <laughs> we've not we've not been in that situation, no. So we can only imagine what that might be like. But um, did you feel like it, it had a a balanced or or do you, I guess maybe to put it another way, do you feel like what the characters did was in line with what humans might do in that situation, how they might actually act in situations like that? Well, there was a great philosophical, very short, but great philosophical conversation about this within the film. And I have to say that um, I'm a little mixture of, of both perspectives. Um, I have lower faith in humanity but i basically think that most human beings are civil and decent uh or at least i expect them to be civil and decent for the most part but uh do i have faith that they're going to drive their car in a way that's not going to necessarily cause me to have a wreck no <laughs> that's why i stop at every green light and look both ways <laughs> <laughs> but uh um I think that the film did a great job in exploring what panicked, um, what's the word I'm looking for? It's on the top of my tongue. They were desperate. What panicked, yeah. desperate human beings are capable of. Um, I think it's sad that they so easily gave in to a cult leader. Yeah, that uh, happened pretty quick. In fact, one yeah. of the characters actually observes that. She's like, wow, two days. <laughs> it only took two days. Yeah. Like, um, I think there's a reason for that within the framework of the film. Yeah, it, obviously. So, so what, do you, what do you feel like? Like, did that, even the timeline, given the other, the other context, you know, the context in which it was occurring, did, did that feel like, oh, wow, yeah, that could happen at least with some people who might be predisposed to to that kind of influence i guess well i think 
what drove them to so quickly come to accept this Lady Carmody's preaching uh, was that something was happening outside that uh, was beyond their belief and it was shaking their understanding of reality. So they yeah. were ready to believe because their, their view of reality had been so broken and shattered, they were ready to say, okay, maybe this is possible. Yeah, I think, um, like, there's this kind of, uh, like, leading up to this, like, it's interesting, like, some of the characters, you know, like, like, um, Dent, uh, David Drayton, you know, he kind of brings it up. There's a, there's a meeting of, like, the quote-unquote more reasonable people, you know, at least the people that don't get swept up in the religious fervor, there's a small group of maybe eight or so people that that don't get swept up in that aspect um now it doesn't mean they're they're free from making bad decisions themselves but at least that aspect of the the behavior within the grocery store but they you know david's like you know i can see this coming with mrs carmody he's like you know if this gets worse you know she might start convincing more people of of her perspective and then that, that kind of leads into, I think you were referencing this, kind of leads into a discussion of the nature of humanity in crisis situations. And the, the teacher, Amanda Dunfrey, says, you know, expresses her belief that the humans are basically good, that, you know, I think she says, like, we're in a civilized, we're in a civilized society, for God's sake, I think she says, or something along those lines. And um, she's pretty much alone in that perspective. The other people are more... I don't know if pragmatic is the right word, but uh, for Probably. instance, I think it's David Drayton who says, like, people will turn to anyone who offers a solution during a time of crisis. Says something along those lines. Or and anything. Then, yeah, yeah, potentially. And then um, Amanda and Dan, well, the three of them kind of have a back and forth. And Amanda, like Dan says something similar, maybe even a little more cynical of, like, people are just going to turn on one another you know, in this situation, or they're just going to be looking. And uh, Amanda asks him, she says, you don't have much faith in humanity, do you? And Dan says, none whatsoever. Amanda says, I can't accept that. People are basically good, decent. Like, my God, David, we're a civilized society. She cried and shed a tear. Yeah, no, she was she was pretty upset and, like, or just feeling very passionately about it. And David says, sure. As long as the machines are working and you can dial 911. But you take those things away, you throw people in the dark, you scare the shit out of them, no more rules. And I think that's the heart of what um, Stephen King was getting at with his story. I don't really think it was about monsters. I think it was about yeah. people. I agree. I agree. The monsters were kind of just a, just a mysterious outside force, an outside pressure that kind of in a sense, was the, the source of the growing conflict. Um, maybe not the source of it, but it was, it was an outside pressure. It, so it, it, it was the, it drove the conflict, I guess, within the film, uh, within amongst the humans. So I guess the question, like, and I know we, we have some differences philosophically, but, like, do you feel that, that they're right about that, that humans are that, 
that will that easily go down that path in in situations like that realistically i don't really know it depends for one thing it depends on the people um i don't know i think i would be shocked personally to see just how fast that things could really go downhill um i don't have any exact examples but i remember that just a few short years ago there were riots um police brutality led to people rioting in the streets and and burning down and i don't want to get political right now i really don't i mean burning down businesses you're just just talking about what happened like that that objectively happened whether you agree with the different perspectives that play or not people did that like it it objectively happened yeah and i i completely get and understand their their anger uh but but they burnt down some of the protesters burnt down the businesses of of innocent people had nothing to do with what happened or the police yeah that was unfortunate yeah yeah and so i would probably be like amanda i would be in disbelief about how fast quickly and low some people could really get i mean i talked about not having much faith in humanity but i have some i do uh and maybe that's because i've never been in the situation to really see just i've never really seen the ugly underbelly of humanity yeah I, i'm still somewhat naive or sheltered sheltered or yes yeah similar similar myself like i have not you know i've been hurt by people but 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 yeah there's you know i've heard stories of so much worse you know and i have not experienced and i think what's interesting like there's a i haven't finished it yet but there's a book i started um maybe a year or two ago it's called uh, a year i think it's I may be getting the title wrong, but a year spent in hell, I think, or, and, um, there's, um, the, the author, she spent, uh, 10 years researching and, and studying how humans behave during crisis situations. Uh And at least in, in, she found like, at least during natural disasters and the like, that people more often than not banded together and helped one another. And I was just thinking about that. I do, I do feel like there, there is probably a distinction between something that's relatively impersonal, like a natural disaster, like a tsunami. I mean, you could still blame God for it, I guess. So in some sense it might be personal, but it's not personal in the sense of like, there's a group of humans meeting this out against you. It's like, no, this was a tsunami. This is beyond any human's control or this was an earthquake, or I do feel like there's probably a distinction between that and then what you mentioned with the riots were a response to um, human misbehavior, the misbehavior of, of certain certain policemen, um, you know, who committed just unnecessary acts of yes. violence. They'd gone too far and, <clears throat> and had done it repeatedly, you know, over the decades. And just a lot of build-up tension, 
that certainly wasn't helped by the media. The media tends to flame these things and, and make them worse at times. But there were some legitimate wrongs that happened and legitimate grievances. So it does seem like there may be a difference between how humans might react to wrongs and harms that are done by other people versus maybe a natural disaster. So I do think that may may play a part or have a difference. And you, you see that a bit in the film itself where like once it comes to light that the military is responsible, um, just like, or at least was involved, you know, they were there assisting the scientists in, in opening this, this window, what they thought was going to be just a window where they could observe other dimensions and ended up, you know, being a, becoming a door where this, these creatures and, and the mist as well from another dimension was able to enter ours or the dimension of the, the story. The once, once that came to light, which by the way, David Drayton was responsible in a lot of ways for bringing that to light and making in some sense, you know, I mean, he was angry and rightfully so and demanded to know the answers from, from Jessup and his companion, his military companions. Um, but then that it becomes the catalyst that just, in a sense, brings things to a fever pitch with, with the, like at this point, they just had like kind of a generic, like the evils of mankind are responsible for this. It's the judgment of God. It's just, but it's very vague. But now it's like, oh, scientists, the military and their hubris. Now there's a lightning rod for the anger and the fear, I think, which even in the character... Mrs. Carmody, I, I like, like, Marsha Gray Hayden knocked it out of the park with this. Like, if she wasn't nominated for some kind of award, she should have been, like, excellent performance. She, oh, yeah. Like, like, oh, man, like, you, her character is horrible. <laughs> so horrible. Like, you, you want, you, you, you want her to die. <laughs> like, you want her to die. Like, she's just, and she's harming people. But I like the fact and obviously the director and writers are responsible for this as well, but Marsha nailed it in her performance. They show that she's just as terrified as everybody else. Uh, but unfortunately, you know, the way she dealt with her fear, you know, I think as a way of dealing with it or controlling, she then sought to control other people. here, I'd like to take a moment to talk to you about the irreverent nerds. They're sitting here in my hideout, all tied up, uh, so they can't say this themselves, but they would like you to know that there are multiple options by which you can connect with them. Their Instagram handle is at irreverent underscore nerds. They're on Facebook and YouTube as simply the irreverent nerds. Ugh, so pedantic. And of course, they are on your podcast app. If you listen on Spotify, scroll down and you will see a question. What did you think of this episode? They welcome your feedback, or so they told me. Uh, they also post episode-specific polls and questions from time to time, so please feel free to jump in and give them your two cents while they're still alive. <laughs> All right, nerds, I've talked enough. Let's get back to this week's episode. It might be their last... Thank you.
a means of controlling her environment to, you know, just a very, it became a very unhealthy way of her dealing with her own fear, you know, and it, it's natural and understandable that she would reach for the explanation that she was most familiar right. with in regards to the events. Like, you know, I think the same is true for some of the people that start following her. You know, they were already familiar with religious imagery and things like that. So some of this was drawing parallels or seemed to be mirroring some of that. So it's like your brain needs a story. This thing is so terrible and so mysterious. Like your, your brain needs a story to tell about it. Like how can, how can I explain what's happening? I need an explanation. And then she kind of seizes on that and then offers one and preaches it, you know, and becomes basically a cult cult leader right. overnight. Which that that is uh, understandable. What's not understandable is just how often her rocker she was. Yeah, but um, she and it says she was, she's Mrs. She Carmody. So I'm like, oh, poor Mr. Carmody. <laughs> it's like, what's he going through? Like, where is he at? Because they they never show him like her husband. But she's a supposedly maybe she might be a widow, but it, she's called Mrs. Carmody. Like, Divorced, I'm sure. I, I, don't, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. And normally you wouldn't still. Well, she I'm seems like someone though that would still refer to herself maybe that way even after that. But but yeah, there's never any mention of her husband, even though she's Mrs. Carmody, uh, at least in the credits. Right. Um, but yeah, she definitely she definitely snaps and and like I said, I think I like that they show that she was terrified herself and like and she was clinging on to to what she knew but she also had this very like she already had this very like self-righteous um aspect of her personality and her character uh she was she was in a sense like these crisis situations you you very much you you're bringing into it what's you've already got baggage you're already bringing all that in with you um, so that was hers, and obviously I'm sure there's a lot of history behind that for her character. But, um, but yeah, she is, I mean, she's definitely, I think probably the two, but it's interesting, and, and I liked this, like you see, you see two forms of, of hubris and, and harm that are happening and I, I like, in a, in a sense, it's two groups that are often pitted against one another in stories like this. But they're, they're like, you have both the, the hubris of the scientists, and she's right about that. Like, them, they're playing around with things they shouldn't have, and they were doing it in secret, trying to hide it from the general populace. They didn't ask anyone else's consent to do these things, other than maybe just the higher chain of command. But that should have been something that the people voted on, like the country yeah. voted on, or maybe even the world, like something that significant. But they're over here doing it in secret, trying Can to hide open it. Open up a black hole to an unknown universe. Yeah, and <laughs> so so you have they've done something horrible, you know, in in their arrogance, or like they did it because they could, you know, and didn't spend enough time thinking whether they should. So they they wreak this this havoc upon. Is that in the Malcolm? Yeah, like yeah, 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 exactly. Um, but then you, you also have obviously the, the hubris of, um, of Mrs. Carmody, you know, and in a sense she's, she doesn't know that the military is involved initially, but as soon as she finds out, like she latches onto that and uses the scientists and the, that just plays right in. She finds a way to play it right into her worldview. And then, so you have, but I, I like that you like, 
like Stephen King and, and Frank Darabont, the writers, they're they're not exclusively attacking religion in this. They're showing right. a, they're showing like a very unhealthy version of it. Right. And that that might what might happen in a crisis situation, um, but they're also showing how science can really mess things up if they right. You know. um, I, I appreciate that. I uh, a lot of things will go out of their way to and there's nothing wrong with having a villainous religious I mean a religious villain there's nothing wrong with showing the dark hideous underbelly of religion because that does happen in real life but they 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 made sure to have a couple of characters that were religious or didn't have a problem necessarily with religion but were calling her out you know Amanda said this is a little too Old Testament for me and another character said, I believe in God, but I don't believe he's this bloodthirsty God you make him out to be. Yeah. So they yeah. were they were they were made making sure not to alienate their any potential audience or anything like that. And then you have Irene, which that and I kinda like the fact that they That was are, the teacher, right? Yeah, like yeah. but she never says whether she's for or against religion, like she's it, the film doesn't doesn't tell you. Well, she um, makes a good point. But, but she notices, like, this is harmful, what's going on right now with Mrs. Carmody. So she throws a can of peas yeah. at her head. <laughs> She's like, it's like, I'm going to stone someone I'm mad at. That's in the Bible, too, isn't it? <laughs> uh, or she, how'd she put it? It's like, I can stone someone I'm pissed off <laughs> or something like that. She had some, some spunk. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but, yeah, like, she you do have some people that stand up to her. Like he said, um, which, uh, yeah, so I liked that. Uh, you know, they maybe didn't go as far as they, they could have in, in showing, you know, the more positive aspects that religion could have in those situations. But eh. but they still they still made some effort. Yeah. And um, I think that's I think that's I'm glad they did that. Um, yeah. I mean, they could have shown some more positive influence. They could have had a mis- uh, uh, Ned Flanders, but. I don't think it would have served the plot, <laughs> so I think that what they did do was fine. Yeah, I think it. I think it worked. It felt. It felt pretty naturalistic in the sense, like, like in that situation that you probably would only have a few people that would stand up to someone like that because we, we humans want to avoid conflict, you know. So it's, it's probably not too many people, and obviously at the end. No, it's it's only when it's like a dire becomes a dire necessity. But Ollie, you know, stands up to her in the ultimate. So, I mean, he kills her. Um, but at that point, she's calling for blood. Like she's yeah. There's eight people, and all they want to do is leave. That's all they're trying to do is leave the store, and and she's, you know, calling on them to be killed. And um, I guess they're threatening her control. Exactly. Yeah, her control. And and again, for her, that's absolutely is driven by her fear like she's she's driven i think by you know arrogance as well but arrogant self-righteousness but but fear i think more so for her so she is also trying to control her environment and and this is where i think the film got really interesting and and where and i guess um we're coming up yeah we don't go too much longer so maybe we can get into into the ending some now or kind of head that direction like um David is, you know, he's kind of portrayed as like the the hero. You know, he's not perfect by far. Like at the beginning when the, 
that first lady wants to go into the mist. And they, I don't know if anyone even died at that point other than, you know, you had the one man that Dan Miller was like, you know, so-and-so, our neighbor, you know, he just got, he just got, he just got pulled away, you know. And, um, but that's still kind of mysterious. No one saw anyone die. Even he didn't see exactly. He just, you know, the person got pulled away and then there was blood. Um, but there's still already some fear in there. And then the, the woman wants to go, wants someone to come with her because she has to go back home to her two kids. And, and David is not willing to do either. And it's, it's understandable, you know, because he has his son there and he doesn't want to take a risk with his son. Um, at least that's the reason he gives at the time. But then there's other risks that he takes later, you know, that might have left his son, not necessarily an orphan, but like without a father, potentially. So you see some inconsistency even maybe in, in, in David. And he makes some decisions that then end up costing some people their lives, you know. And and in each in each circumstance of like, you know, you can you can totally understand his, his reasoning and his reasons for it, but they end up still being costly decisions and 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 obviously as you get closer to the end you, you see, you know, some pretty rough consequences to his decisions so even though he's not he didn't lead a cult you know um there's a sense in which his decisions you know he was also trying to gain control of the situation trying to find ways to deal with it cost people their lives too so i thought that was interesting that his character he's not just this like this pure altruistic hero you know spotless hero it's like no he's very flawed yeah making just like so i think that felt realistic to me how did you feel that uh i felt that the ending of the film said a lot about stephen king's uh worldview um because most films you think about we haven't gotten into how the film ends yet i'm going to try not to spoil that but most films would have had the cavalry arrive just at the nick of time yeah this one had a different ending yeah, I think this ending is more cynical, more um, realistic. Maybe uh, they they dared to do it. They dared to end the film in this way. Uh, does that answer the question, or or did I miss the question? What was the question? I forget. Okay, I forgot too. <laughs> it's okay. Yeah, because I, I got to, got to thinking about the ending, and I guess I guess we can go ahead and dive into it and, and kind of unpack it. Like, so let me see. Let me see if I can narrate it here um and then we can dive into kind of the implications but like you have so you have the the final standoff that we already referenced with mrs carmody where she's calling for the blood of the was it maybe six or seven people at that point you know the the only people that weren't all caught up in her cult at that point and they're plotting to you know they're making plans with each other as quietly as possible they just want to get out and try to drive and see if they can get past the mist basically and so he has a a land cruiser that's parked out in the parking lot and their their goal is to bring some food with them and just to make it out try to make it out to the land cruiser and then just drive as far as they can drive and see if they can get past the mist at least take a shot at it knowing that it might not succeed but like we got to try something basically was the reasoning there so after ollie kills um mrs carmody you know, they're able to leave and sadly Ollie and a couple of the other people along with them um, get killed 
on the way out. And in the end, only only five people make it um, to the to the Land Cruiser. But Ollie, like as he gets killed, and and he gets killed by the really big um, praying mantis. Like it looks like a massive like reptilian praying mantis or something. It's like probably I don't know two stories tall or something like that. And it grabs him and pulls him up. But his gun falls down, and they make a point of showing you like his gun falls down on the hood of the Land Cruiser. Um, and so David Drayton and his son Billy and Amanda and then Irene and, and Dan are the only ones left that make it to the Land Cruiser and they get in and David, you can see it on his face. Like he's, he's trying to decide whether to risk getting the gun and the others realize what he's contemplating and they, they urge him like, don't do it. Don't get the gun. Don't, don't try it. Don't try it. Um, uh, in the end he decides to do it. He opens the door. He reaches around he gets the gun and again understandable understandable risk you know it's because like he's thinking like what if on our way down like one of these things gets in the car i may need to shoot it so i can protect my son or protect the other people here so it makes sense like his choice to grab the gun made sense even though he was being urged not to do it and i think they were more doing that out of concern maybe for his welfare um than anything else but he takes the risk. He gets it. He gets in, t- in in time. You know, Bug does fly up against the windshield, but doesn't get in. And then they're able to drive away. And then here's, and I think this is predictable. Like, I, I saw this coming, you know. But I saw this part coming, but I didn't, but I didn't see the ending coming. Yeah. Like, the final ending. I did not see that coming. Um but this part I did see coming quite a ways back. Like I, I almost, I knew with almost certainty that his wife was going to be dead. Oh so yeah. That, you know they stopped by the house, you know where she had she had stayed there while he and Billy went to get the supplies. And we find out, um, that she has been killed by the bugs. It appears, and then and then hung up. She's like hanging up underneath the eaves of the house, all wrapped up in the spider web. And it seems obvious that, that she's dead at that point and most likely, you know, has the eggs or whatever inside of her, but she's dead. And, and it's too dangerous, obviously, for them to get out and try and check whether she's dead because then the rest of them would die too, or at least whoever got out would die. So they, they come there and they find that scene and, and Dan, David, excuse me, you know, to some extent blames himself or maybe not blames himself so much as he bemoans the fact he's like, I, I was going to fix the window. He's his, I think his first thought was like, they got in through the window that yeah. broke earlier. And obviously he didn't have a chance or a time to do that. Cause the mist came, came down on him before he even got back out of town. But he just, he can't think of anything else to say. He's just like, I was going to fix the window. It's my grandfather's tree, you know? And then he just, he weeps there for for a moment and then you know they they move on you know but but obviously he's just he's gone through all that those horrible things he's seen people die he's been responsible to some extent for people dying and making choices that led to people's deaths um so he's seen a lot and then finds his wife dead so he's he's on the edge of despair or ready but he's holding on to hope they're holding on to hope that maybe they can make it further 
so they keep driving and driving and you know and and we see some scenes of that and the music kind of comes in and it's kind of haunt this haunting choral notes and we see this massive and i think this adds massive. this adds to the despair at the end i think as well it's like probably as big as like a six or seven story building this massive creature i don't even know what to call it like reptilian bug thing i mean it's just with, with tentacles on its underbelly yeah it's just huge you know and it walks past and it's like shaking the earth as it walks past and it doesn't really even notice them but they're like i can't help i'm sure that just added to the oh man look at what we're up against these things are if there's ones this big out there what can we do but they keep going and then and then they run out of gas and and here's where you know the mist is still all around them at this point they haven't seen any other humans alive um and certainly not like no military presence nothing like no one alive up to this point of in their drivings so you have all that and you have the weight of despair and here's and here's where kind of the fateful choice that that David made to grab the gun, you know, really comes in, in in a horrible way. Like he he's sitting there, and I don't know if he had a thought about that. We we don't really know whether he had a thought about that when he grabbed it initially. He had a little mm-hmm. hint that maybe that crossed his mind back when they were still in the parking lot, but we don't really know. The story doesn't really tell us for sure. But but he grabs the gun and he's. You can see it processing in his mind. He's thinking about, like, well, rather than go through all the horrible ways that we've seen people die already, maybe we should just kill ourselves. So he's thinking through that. And then we see him. He doesn't say anything, but we see him look both uh, Irene and Dan in the eye. And they, they come, they understand what he is thinking. And they both nod their assent. And more or less, um, Amanda does as well, although she does so with tears and kind of yeah. a wide-eyed, fearful look. Um, so they've kind of all resigned themselves to like, oh, you know, there's no rescue. You know, we don't want to die the way that we've seen so many other people die. We want it to be more quick and painless. So with the exception of his son, obviously, the other adults you know they give their consent to his to his plan and he he checks the gun and, and there's only only four rounds left and so he he looks at at Amanda and he's like I'll figure something out and I'm glad they didn't show this up close but oh, they yeah. they cut they cut to the outside of the vehicle and you just see the flash of the gun and this and you hear the gun obviously you hear the flash and so he I what? think he sh- I think he shot his son first cuz he didn't want his son to see yeah. to see the other people get shot but for the most gut-wrenching part of the whole movie like his son wakes up and turns to look at him right before he does it and horrible just gut-wrenching and yeah so he so he kills the other the other four people in the van in the car and then he just lets out this guttural like 
this cry of pain, just like, it's just like, what else could I do? Like, just, and he even tries to shoot himself, even though he knows there's no bullets left. He puts it in his mouth as if to try and shoot himself and, and knows, but knows that he can't. So he gets out of the car and he's like willing the creatures to come and kill him. He's like, and he yells, he's like, come on. It's like, come on! Like, he wants to die now because there's, there's nothing left to live for in his thinking. And then, and this is where you get get the final gut punch, if you will, the film. Like, as he's there, willing the creatures to come and even hear some of them off in the distance, but then out of the mist, instead of a creature, comes a massive tank. And then another tank comes, and we see the military is coming in, and then we see you know, and this is really a kicker too. Like we see a truck come with civilians, and then the woman that had left at the very beginning oh, yeah. is there with, with her, her two kids. kids, and he has just killed his own son as well as the other adults there. And had he waited, like literally, you know, five minutes or or, or even less, he would have seen the military, and they would have been rescued, or at least would have had the assistance of the military. And, and he just falls to his knees. He just can't believe it, you know, what he's done and, and, and how. And he just says, all dead. Just why? And yeah. then lets out another scream. And that's how the movie ends. Now it's I, like, oh, yeah. gut punch, gut punch. So Now, we had discussed it earlier. Uh, I had to decompress for an entire hour after that uh, ending. Uh, my wife told me after we watched it, she couldn't sleep that night. Mm. And she told me the next morning, this morning, that I wasn't allowed to watch any more horror films for our podcast at the house. <laughs> <laughs> or at least not with her. That's understandable. So uh, how did it affect you? I think you told me that uh, you maybe you had to decompress a little too. Yeah, I think I was, I think I was quiet for the first, probably, ten minutes after it ended. I just like sat there, and I, but I started processing it by by writing about it. You know, as I sat there, I just I started writing because I d- I knew I was like this is this is the perfect time to write and process this. Like, um, and I didn't know it was gonna end. Like, I had no idea. Laura could kind of see it coming a little bit, and she. She looked it up, looked up the ending, and then saw what was going to happen. And she was, she kind of reacted. And I was like, "Don't tell me! Like, I want to know! Like, I want to find it out." Um, but yeah, it, yeah, it was, it was rough. Like, let me see. I can maybe share some of what I wrote afterwards. Uh, While you're looking that up, I was going to say I mentioned earlier. That there's something I could make fun of in this film, and that was the CGI. But otherwise, you're right. It's just not not a movie that uh, has a lot to make fun of. So here's some of the the things that I wrote afterwards. It's like the ending just guts you. Damn, they gave up way too quickly. And then I had a thought. It's like this film might actually be too serious for our podcast. Yeah, because we are the irreverent well, nerds. Yeah, I did too. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, I was like, 
there's not really much we can joke about with this, but maybe that's okay. You know, it's like okay to have a really serious episode from time to time. But, but I was like, damn, it gets very real. Faced with unknown dangers, how do people react? Some with fear, some show kindness. The power of hope, there's another note I've heard, the power of hope can lead to even greater despair. You, you, might almost yeah, call, so. you might almost call hope an enemy in this film, at least towards the end. Like, it, there's almost a sense in which it was an, an enemy of, of David Drayton and the small group there. Because, um, yeah, it, it, it kept them going, but then in the end, that made the despair that much deeper. Yes. You know, which I guess is always the, down, the maybe not the downside, but the, the flip side of, of hope, that if you, if you hold on to it too tightly... If you're disappointed, like the despair can be that much greater. Um, so sometimes it begs the question: like, is it worth it to hope? You know, if you if you know that you might be disappointed, and, and um, I, I think the answer is yes, but it's not always an easy yes. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Um. But yeah, like um. Yeah, I think after that, I just kind of reflected more on the film as a whole, you know, some of the things we've already, already talked about. And, um, but yeah, did you have any more thoughts on the ending? Like, um, like, I, I did definitely, like, had I seen this before I had kids, it would have, it still would have hit me hard, but, yeah. but it definitely hits differently having kids of my own. Like which which is something I don't share that experience with you. Yeah. So I can't imagine how that makes you feel. Man, just the the thought of like the being in a place where you would, would contemplate, you know, doing that to you know any mm. one of your children's lives, but, you know, and the thinking would be like to avoid them experiencing the the horrible death that the other people you'd seen die experience not wanting them to go through that you know but still just the i was like wow i i, I think i would have waited longer before you know but then i would have been afraid to wait longer too at the same time because like at any moment you know a creature could come up and and then you know they would experience a much more painful death so it's like but it seems like Seems like it would have, had he been thinking clearly, the better thing would have been, you know, I'm going to wait until that does happen. And if I have yeah. to, you know, rather than seeing him go through, like, death by one of the spiders, you know, it's horrible, horrible, like, or one of the others, like, rather than seeing him go through that, then, like, kind of a mercy killing almost. But, but still, yeah. it's just like, I, I, I can't, I can't. It's, ugh. oof. Yeah super heavy but uh but yeah it's like like you like you said they they dared to go there and and it is like i appreciated the their willingness to do that because there are things that happen in the real world where it's like there's no there's no good explanation for it like it's like why like you know why is this suffering happening like why you know, and you could you could have an answer <coughs> like even 
Inu even has. <coughs> like, even if your answer is God has a plan, you, you know, you don't know what that is. So there's still this, like, why hanging out there. Right. At the very least, and until the end of, of your earthly life, if you will, you know, there's this, this agonizing why, you know, when you, like, I can only imagine, like, having not gone through anything that horrible myself, like, but I can, but I know things like that do happen where they're just, it just seems inexplicable, just the, the horrors, you know, like the Holocaust, I mean, for instance, I mean, being, and that was something we perpetrated on each other. Yeah. But, and in a sense, this was the result of human, you know, decisions as well. It's a, in the sense, this was perpetrated upon, maybe not as actively, obviously, but like still, um, once again, scientific and military hubris and, you know, not quite the same, not quite the same, obviously, but, um, but yeah, but even, even tragedies like, you know, seeing a kid get cancer and die of cancer or things like that, it's just like, like, you know, what do you do with that? You know, that kind of seemingly senseless tragedy, you know, um, so yeah, that, <clears throat> and I think even, even in, in the past when I was a Christian, like I, I wouldn't have had an easy answer for that other than it's like, but all you can do is say, well, uh, you know, I think God has a plan, but then you don't know what it is. So you can't really say much beyond that. Right. You know, so it's like, you still are kind of left wrestling with the, it's, um, it's a plea the towards pain, blind with the, trust with the pain, you know? Right. Um, and the best answer I could give is we live in a broken world. That's not a satisfying answer. Why do we live in a broken world? I could give a religious reason for that, but it's still not an answer. It's just, it's a fact that the world is a messed up place, but it's not a satisfactory answer as to why this is happening. Yeah. I mean, I mean, there is, there is some, some answer his plea of why I mean <clears throat> like in this story <clears throat> and even to some extent like the the Christian explanation would also be similar in a sense of like we messed it up it's our fault you know you know we I mean that's kind of the the theme of you know the doctrine of the fall right it's like we we fucked it up you know we sinned we brought a curse upon all of humanity and the entire universe I'd like to um, uh Use a serpent a little bit there too, but yeah, yeah. Obviously, he was involved <clears throat> as well, but so he was an, an intelligent agent uh, who had a will involved in that as well. But Adam, I mean, humans are the one held responsible at the end of the day for it. But in this case, in this story, you know, you have like the scientists and the military leaders who approved what they were doing. You know, they. They brought all this this pain and death and destruction upon other humans, um, you know, and they they couldn't have, I mean, they should have, you know, been able to foresee the possibility of that, but didn't fully know what what could happen, you know. They, um, but yeah, but in their case, I think it was maybe far more deliberate, you know. Um, but yeah, but. But there is an answer. He's like, all this death, why? It's maybe not have a cosmic answer, but the, sh the, the, you know, boots on the ground answer is like, 
it's the scientists' fault <laughs> and the right. mili- and the military leaders who approved it, or or sanctioned it, or 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 ordered it, whatever the case might be. But it's it's those those people brought this upon. Right, and th- you know, those are facts, but they might not be a satisfactory answer. Yeah, and um, and maybe in some sense, David was even asking, why did I do that? Why did I make that decision? Yeah. Why? That's how I understood it anyway. You know, maybe that was in there too, you know, and not necessarily like a cosmic why, but like, but, but why, like, why did I, you know, all this, they're all dead for what? Um, you know, obviously he didn't know that the military was going to come up, but he also didn't wait very long, you know, to find out. So that's just very tragic. Um, Very tragic. Yeah. But yeah, I think getting back to just the overall themes, it, it seemed to me, I don't, I don't know how you felt, but it seemed to me that choices were kind of one of the biggest themes in it, like the cho- the choices that people make, obviously <clears throat> within a crisis situation, but like that that seemed to me like a pretty, pretty heavy, you know, and it was like the the monsters and the mist was really more of just a catalyst for the human drama that unfolded, like you said, like with absolutely. And that seemed very much to have been the intent, you know. Um, but yeah, w- uh, what were some of the the themes that you that you noticed that you felt were significant with to the film? Well, um, as far as I can tell, mostly just what we're talking about right now. Uh, the uh, that this was really just Stephen King's way of exploring uh, how far humanity can plunge given in a catastrophe. I think that the the monsters, these alien animals, were only created to, like you said, in order to uh, bring an interesting science fiction horror element that would uh, be the catalyst for what what the true reason he wrote the story for. Um, I'm not sure if there was any sort of agenda with the with Lady Carmody or not. Um, I'm not sure why he chose a cult leader. Maybe he just needed some sort of uh, charismatic character that would rally the people towards bad decisions. Well, one thing I do know, and this is actually something I wrote in uh, in preparing, it's like one thing I do know or at least suspect about Stephen King, like having spent a decent amount of time with his works is yeah. that he's not a fan of religious fanaticism and, and that does pop up characters like that like there's just very arrogant self-righteous religious characters do pop up quite a bit um in my experience in, in his stories um and obviously the character of mrs carmody is, is no exception to that uh so through her king and Darepont, you know they get to explore the role religion can play in a situation of great distress. Um, the majority of the characters do not refer much to religion until Mrs. Carmody begins to become more vocal and begins to gain a following. You know, people will turn to anyone who offers a solution during a time of crisis, one of the characters observed. That, I think, was David. 
This comment comes in the midst of a discussion about the effect human nature has on behaviors during crisis situations. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, but just getting back to Stephen King, I, I think that is something that he has a very strong distaste for. Okay. I don't know. He, he may be a little bit more like that. It worked, though. It worked in the film. I don't know where he stands. Like I don't know if he identifies as an atheist or an ag- My guess would be he might be more on the agnostic realm of things, but I'm not entirely sure. Uh, but I do know he definitely has a distaste for, like, kind of like the the more fanatical or, like, hellfire and brimstone kind of version. Right. You know, as do, as do you and I. Like, I, 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 right. did, I did as a... As a, even as a Christian as well, like I had a distaste for that, and um, yeah, like that. I'm glad I didn't grow up in in that strand of of because uh, yeah, that's just so much trauma out of that. Um, but yeah, that is something that that will pop up, not in every book um, that I've read or in every story that he writes, but it definitely pops up from time to time. And um, yeah, and, and um. You don't necessarily see. Yeah, it does, and and obviously there are people out in the real world like that too. And I'm guessing he's known a few of them over the years, because um, most writers, you know, they 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 base their, especially their most interesting characters, are grounded in in people that they've actually known and met. So there's at least inspiration often drawn from their real life experiences. As a comic um, book author, I can agree with this. It's a lot easier to write characters based on people you know, or people's yeah. personalities. Comes off more more genuine as yeah. well. I mean, which makes sense. You know, it's people you've actually known, and uh, you know, as long as you're not straight up like putting that person in the yeah, it's like, oh yeah, Joe Smith. You know, I knew him for five years, and my character's name is Joe jerk. Smith. <laughs> <laughs> it's like I'm gonna have like, him get eaten first. <laughs> you want to do one of those that the names of. The names of the people in this story have been changed to protect the innocent, you know, or whatever. And uh, the guilty. Or <laughs> and the guilty. <laughs> but anyway, we should probably, well, no, we should wrap this up. Um, but yeah, this, like I, like I said earlier, um, I'm not going to go into all the different reasons, but I thought it started a little slow, but it definitely, it pulls you in. And, and um, yeah, I, I rate this. Pretty high. I think I give this 4.5 nerd hats. Um, how about you? How did how did you feel? I'm gonna give it a four hats, four nerd hats. Um, I loved the film. The only thing I didn't like was the ending, but you know mm-hmm. they dared to do it, and it does have an impact. So I'm I'm not lowering my score because of that. I'm lowering my score because of these. I thought the CGI was not entirely convincing in some yeah. parts. Yeah. Uh, but it was a great film. Um, and, and my wife want, wanted me to tell everybody that uh, she didn't like it. <laughs> Which is totally fine. <laughs> yeah. But uh, she's a, she claims to be a big Stephen King movie fan. Um, or at least from her past before, before her and I met. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't... Re- didn't really know this, but but okay. Mandy does like horror films to a degree. Mm-hmm. Final Destination, the uh, Halloween Michael Myers films. Oh yeah, yeah, that's right. I think I've heard her talk about that a few times. Yeah. I think. Yeah, yeah. but uh, apparently, the scariest thing in the entire movie was 
David shooting Billy. Billy. Oh, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah just gut-wrenching. You know it. Yeah. Um, hmm. Yeah, it's... I'm not gonna. I'm not planning to rewatch it anytime soon. <laughs> if I do, but I might skip the ending. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like you've seen it once. It's like I don't know if I need to be gut punched again. It's like yeah. you can only be gut punched so many times. That's kind of like there's, there's a few other movies like that. Now this I think is maybe a little more rewatchable than some, but like I think like The Passion of the Christ being an example. I think I've only revisited that once because I had to for class in, in, coll- oh. in college. That's the only other time I've watched it since I saw it, saw it in theaters, and and I used to own it. I think I might still have it so, somewhere. But, so, at our but I've never college, rewatched it. At our Bible college, that thought cinema was the devil. They actually made you rewatch it. <laughs> well, I don't know. If they saw it. they didn't necessarily think cinema was the devil. But oh, they're, I'm they're, exaggerating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know, I know. But there was there was a there was a rule when we first started there. Obviously, yeah. that you couldn't go to theaters, which um, they gradually have relaxed over the years. Right. Um, and. Uh, like, and I, I think rightfully so. I think they, they should have. Um, but yeah, that was, I think, officially, like, I think The Passion of the Christ was the first film that they gave. Maybe not. They might have, there might have been a few others, like maybe like a Saving Private Ryan or something like that, like historical value. Oh, okay. Um, in terms of giving approval for people to go to the theater. Um, but I'm sure they had used had watched films in classes you know i think this was actually for the life of christ it was so it was a study of the life of christ so it fit within the class but then we watched it on vhs um day the school didn't have a dvd player i guess (laughs) (laughs) oh well wasn't that advanced yet but or maybe it was just that room didn't have one but um yeah that's the last time that would have been like 2004 maybe 2005 I think it was the last time I ever watched it. Um, but that's one of those that, like, gut punches you, you know. Like, the, the flogging scene is, yeah. is the worst um, in that in that film. And, yeah, I have not had an inclination uh, in the many years since to rewatch now and then I, I haven't I, either. Like, I, I've thought about it, like, on a Good Friday or something every now and then. I was like, make myself go through it. But then I just never could do it. Um, and it's... But yeah, this this ending was kind of like the flogging scene there, where it was like it just gut punch. Like, and that one I knew it was coming. I'd even heard about the flogging scene, um, but still. And I think that's our cue. I <laughs> think it is. Well, nerds, uh, next week uh, we're going to be joined by Dan and Chris coming on to talk about the the state of comics in general, but also their favorite horror comics. Um, or at least some horror comics that they recommend. And uh, Will and I are going to bring a few to bear as well. And uh, so that's coming next week. And then week three, we're going to be covering a horror anime. Oh, yeah, and, yeah. Uh, we figured that out yet? Um, still talking to, to the guest. So, um, in fact, I need to, to check back in with uh, with him and see. It, it is a he. Um, and check back in with him and see if uh, if he's available and wants to do that. Um, but at the very least, um, he may have given us our topic at the yeah. very least. So, but it'll be something in the anime realm that that is a, a horror film or horror series of some type. And then we'll finish off the month with. Ooh, are we gonna do it? Yeah. We'll now, finish off the month with uh, Army of Darkness. Should we do a dual feature? Like try to cover both. I'd think? like to, but if we, we have give to it a shot, 
If we if we only cover mm-hmm. one movies of the month. Yeah, if we only cover one, maybe Army of Darkness. But, but yeah. yeah, either either both of those films or Army of Darkness, we will cover those to finish. Uh, to finish out horror month, <laughs> and then uh, November is gonna be. November is going to be Miyazaki month. So, uh, but anyway, until next week, nerds, live long and prosper. Sayonara. Thank you so much for joining us for another episode of the Irreverent Nerds Podcast. If you would, consider following us on Instagram. We are there at irreverent underscore nerds you can also hit us up on facebook just look us up there at the irreverent nerds that's our fan page we have a youtube channel as well once again the irreverent nerds nice and simple right and if you go to www.irreverentnerds.com that will send you to our podcasters for spotify formerly anchor.fm profile where you can send us a voice message if you want to support us financially or listen to the podcast. It will also direct you to other places you can listen, like Spotify, Apple, Google, Stitcher, you name it. So, like, comment, subscribe, follow, all those good things, wherever you find us, wherever you listen to us, we would greatly appreciate it. Until next time, nerds, live long and prosper. Avengers Assemble! I'm Batman.